Thank you. We can be seated in heavenly places. Thank you so much, Nataf. May I kindly have my board? Welcome, everyone, to Living Oracles Tabernacle. It's my worship. All of our worship. Let's visit Joel 2.23 again. We will be looking at what makes Horopilapila, what is sound doctrine? What constitutes and makes up sound doctrine? And the word sound, it means healthy. The word sound, it means wholesome, nourishing. It's a term we throw around a lot. Sound doctrine, sound doctrine, sound doctrine. Okay, what is sound doctrine? What is sound doctrine? So we'll just be looking at the many attributes of what qualifies to be sound doctrine. And the Lord will help us to really engage the teaching grace so we can teach this thing and not preach it. Amen. Um, Joel 2.23 and then we're also going to open Uh, so we're going to open a number of, of scriptures, a number of verses. Um, especially go the epistles of First Timothy, Second Timothy, Letitus. Uh, Paul uses this word doctrine a lot. He uses this word so much. And um, I want us to to understand a few things about this thing, Eribizan doctrine. The word doctrine has to do with 
the act of communicating truth. The truths which we know and communicating them. Maybe we can focus on the monitor or something. I think I'm too high somewhere. So get the get the the act of teaching. Let us clearly very kiss a make a little one libel must be carrying and then with a I'm sure you own love our So it has to do with the act, Joel Tune. It has to do with the act of communicating some, some truths. But more importantly, the content that is being taught. So doctrine also has a connotation to the word of communication, of how well it is communicated. But more explicitly get the content of what is being taught. So I just want us to reflect on this verse which we were on last week and then we go. The Bible says, for I have sent unto you the former rain moderately. I have sent to you the former rain moderately. Be glad then, the children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has sent unto you the former rain moderately and he will cause to come down for you the rain the former rain and the latter rain in the same month. So the Lord has given us the former rain moderately. We have looked at the word former, get the word in your Again, from where we get yara. You know, uh, meaning an archer. You know, to shoot, to aim, to point out a uh, I've sent you the former rain moderately. Uh, the exposition is all here. Just a quick recap. So, in the former rain, literally, when you do the etymology of the meaning of words, um, this is where God becomes poetic now. Because the translators were correct in how they're translated. They are correct. I'm not correcting that translation. But in this, you see God's poetry that we fail sometimes to see because we don't understand the classical language. So now the readers and the hearers clearly caught the alliterations there, clearly caught the connotations that we, in our translated language, miss. Hence, I'm going back to the Hebrew to say these words, depending on the context, mean this and they mean that. So there is a connotation that the original audience understood that we can easily miss. Right? So I want us to see what is in the subtext. I've sent you the former rain moderately. And that word moderate, make it sadak. From where we get righteousness, today, I want to get sadak. 
So the former rain moderately. So righteousness also has to do with moderation. Temperance. One of those are qualities of righteousness. So how I've sent you the former rain moderately. There is a connotation there that I have sent teachers of righteousness. So God has sent the former rain moderately. And then what is the purpose of the former rain? The purpose of the former rain, those are the early rains. And the purpose of the early rains is to prepare the ground for the seed. Is to prepare the ground for what God will be doing in the season. For what the sower will be doing in the season. And so there is this former rain which has been sent, but it rained moderately. And then there is the latter rain. And when this latter rain comes, this latter rain has got a purpose. And the purpose of this latter rain is to mature the crop for harvest. You understand? So now the latter rain, when it rains, after it is done, the crop is ready to be harvested. So the purpose of the latter rain is to mature what has been planted. So now the Bible is saying, I have sent unto you the former rain moderate. And so now what the apostles have done, it is the former rain and it was raining moderately. But so now God has sent teachers of righteousness. So preceding a move of God are teachings of righteousness which are shifting a people, which are aligning a people's focus and affections and preparing them for the rain which will come and preparing for that seed that God will plant in the season because it is all wrapped up and encapsulated in the seed because our destiny is in the seed. And that is something I will get into in not so long. So I have sent unto you the former rain moderately, and it rained. And when this former rain went out, there was also an outpouring of the Spirit, and the Spirit rained on us, but it was raining moderately. So now in those days, there was a time where Paul is teaching, and he teaches so long, get explained to the verse I'm going to get to, he teaches so long that a man called Eutychus falls out of the window and dies. And then Paul says, fear not. And then he raises him from the dead, and he continues with that teaching. What manner of thing is this? Someone just falls from the second story, he dies, and the preacher just raises him up, and he continues. The Bible says, it was raining moderately. So now God has sent the former rain, and it rained moderately. There was a time by Peter, when he is ministering and teaching, and he's busy laying his hands on people, that his shadow begins to touch people. Now Peter has a line, now let's do a shadow line, and then let me touch people. You see, this was not something like that. Peter, he was busy on the elementary doctrine of the laying on of hands. But because the demand was so much that as he is laying hands, some don't need a touch. Even his shadow as he is moving is doing the work. So now there is a substance behind the shadow. So Peter was not focused on the shadow. Peter was focused on the ministry of laying on of hands and of healing. And as he is doing that, because of the demand, God now uses even his shadow and whomsoever Peter's 
shadow touches, God healed. And that's the only time Peter did that. He did not start now shadow ministries. He that hides under the shadow of the Almighty. He did not do that. But as he was busy, the Spirit began to even transmit the anointing through his shadow. The Bible says it was raining moderately. There is a time by Paul is also in the same situation, laying hands busy. He is sweating, working hard. He's wiping his sweat. The handkerchief falls down. The Bible says whoever touched the handkerchief was healed. Oh my God, Paul. Handkerchief away. The power just slays them on the spot. The Bible says it rained, but it was raining moderately. They kept on the time. It was the day of Pentecost. And on this day, the Bible says Jews from all under the earth were gathered together in Jerusalem and there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and this sound filled the entire room wherein they were sitting and they were divided among them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each and every one of them and then the whole town heard the commotion and on that day beat that the coward of them all stands up on the day of Pentecost be that the coward of them all who denied Jesus when a little girl was asking him you are one of them he denied Jesus in the dark when a little girl confronted him but now in broad daylight in the middle of the entire city when Jesus himself is not even there Peter stands up because something has reigned something has deposited in him and 5,000 on that day got saved there was no poster there was no advertisement there was no marketing there was no sound system there were no strings but there was a sound from heaven but it was raining and it rained moderately the following day is walking going all the way to the temple at the hour of prayer but this day something is different his eyes are fixed on a particular person and then he says, say, look at us. And so I said, say, put your focus and attention on us. And then when the man was looking, expecting to receive something, the Bible says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have, give I unto thee. We need to understand that the measure of the anointing is not in your prosperity. The measure of the anointing is not in what you possess. The measure of the anointing is in who is possessing you. The measure of the anointing is in something else. Listen, there is no shame for an apostle to say, I don't have money. There is no shame for an apostle to say, silver and gold, have I none? Because those are earthly things, but I have something the earth does not have. Such as I do have, give I unto thee. Some people are following men of God because of their material possessions. Some people are following men of God because they're driving McLarens and they've got nice suits. Therefore, the gospel works for them. But there is a gospel of old, of broke people. There is a gospel of old, of fishermen. There is a gospel of old, and silver and gold. Have I none, but such as I do have, give I unto thee in the name 
of Jesus get up and walk. The man is disobedient. The Bible says he jumped and leapt. The command was stand up and walk. Yeah, now he jumps and dances. But yeah, the healing still hits him. The Bible says it rained moderately. I've sent unto the rain. And it rained moderately. I want you to have a perspective that all we have experienced so far is just rain in moderation. It was raining and it rained moderately. But there is coming a time when I will send unto the farmer and the latter. Same jewel, now go to 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So now I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So in the continuing story, Jewel now becomes the, the, the prophet of Pentecost that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they will prophesy, they will dream dreams, and they will see visions. But I've sent unto you the former rain moderately, and I'm about to send the former and the latter in the same season, Acts 2, 17 and 18. I'm not sure which one I want, Kevin. Uh, let's try 17. Eri, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out of my spirit. So I want you to notice here in Acts 2.17, it says, I will pour out of my spirit. But now, Peter, he is in the spirit, but he's quoting Jewel. But when Peter is quoting Jewel by the spirit, he does not quote him verbatim. And in him not quoting him verbatim, it is the emphasis of the spirit. So now, Peter, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. So he did not make a mistake, but he is not quoting it fully, because this is an emphasis of the spirit. There is something that is beginning to unfold. Go back to Joel 2, verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward, or one or more in the last days, but go Joel 2, 28, afterward. So, there is an afterward thing, but we talk about the last days kind of thing. But I will pour out my spirit, not I will pour out of my spirit, but I will pour out my my spirit upon all flesh. Acts 2.17 again. And then in Acts 2.17, we just have to type a button. I get to white. Just literally to press. I will pour out of my spirit. And so Peter will pour out of my spirit. So there is a difference, brethren. With this bottle of water, if I take this cup and I'm pouring out of the bottle, you understand? So Peter, I will pour out of my spirit. But the promise given to Jewel is that I will pour out my spirit. So Jewel, the Pentecostal trumpeter, Jewel, the trumpeter, and the announcer of Pentecost, the promise I will pour out my spirit. But Peter, on the day when the work is beginning, this is what Jewel said, but it's the beginning. I'm pouring out of my spirit. Now, I want us to jump to the book of Ephesians, chapter number four. I pray to God whoever is there Arabella if Arabella Mamuri please Ephesians chapter 4 verse number number uh, uh, 13 uh, uh, 12 13 14 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We were here a few weeks ago, right? Let's continue. For the perfecting, for the what? Till we all come. So there is a mandate given to the fivefold. Till we all come. Who are we all? Peter told us and Jewel told us, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And so now Paul is continuing where Peter left off. Until we all come. Because I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And so now Paul is taking it further. Until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And to what a perfect man. So we want to see a perfect man arising in the earth. And this perfect man, this perfect man, this perfect man, get a corporate man. So now there is a corporate man that God wants to see on the earth. There is a corporate son of God who must raise here on the earth. Because in Thessalonians chapter 2, we read about the son of perdition, the man of sin, who will arise with lying signs and wonders. So now there is the corporate son of hell and there's also the corporate son of God. In these end times, we are seeing a story of beauty and the beast. We are seeing a story of the son of hell and of the son of God. So there is a rising fall dimension who will arise with lying signs, wonders and vanities. But there is also a corporate son. I do not know why we are always talking about the corporate son of hell and all the about the corporate son of God who must arise in these end times. So there is a son, a corporate son, whom God is raising up. And this son whom God is raising up, many are denying him. Many are denying our stage. It is just like in the days of Caleb and Joshua of old. As they are going to the promised land, they can see the grapes. They can see everything. They can see the harvest. And when they are looking at this harvest, oh my we can take this land, but there are 10 others, a number of the law, a number of the old order, who are seeing the stature of the land, because this land is inhabited by giants. So the stature of this land is giant. And when they see this land, but we are but grasshoppers. We cannot take this land. In other words, the, the 10 spies are denying our stature in Christ. The 10 spies are denying our potential in him. The ten spies are denying what we can really be in him because it is a land of giants. It's a place where people must arise and awaken to his stage. I've sent unto you the former rain moderately. ring, verse 14. That we, uh-uh. verse 13, what I want is in verse 13, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So where do we need to get to corporately? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what is our measure? The measure is the fullness of Christ. Now, John chapter 3, verse 30 to 33. The Bible says, He that is from God speaketh the words of God, etc., etc. He must increase and I must what? Decrease. But listen to what it says. For God giveth unto him. Okay, 32. 
33? 34? Aha! For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. So the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Christ. He must increase and I must decrease. This one, God has given unto him the Spirit without measure. So Christ has the Spirit without measure. The gift of prophecy is a measure. The gift of healing is a measure. Being an apostle is a measure. But God gave unto the Son the Spirit without any measure. He has no measure. So the Bible says, till we all come unto the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. So there is a place we need to tap into called the Spirit without measure. We are still struggling to flow in the gifts, but God is waiting for a mature son who is flowing in the Spirit without measure. You still can't prophesy even today. You still have not healed a frog even today. But God is waiting for a corporate son. But now this one who has the spirit without measure, guess what? He speaks the words of God. So, you overflow in the spirit when you are speaking the words of God. This one, he speaks the words of God. For God gives unto him the spirit without measure. So it takes the spirit to have proper exposition. It takes the spirit to speak the words of God. I want us to get that right. It takes the spirit. It comes by the spirit. Sure, 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 sure. I'm so ahead of myself, but you will hear me. So it rained, but it was raining moderately. But now when it's raining moderately, what precedes the rain, get teachers of righteousness who are instructing us in the words of God. Let's go. Now, let's jump. And then we get into our subject matter. Acts 20. I bless the Lord for a prayerful person. Acts 20. What verse am I looking for? Um, it should be from verse 17. Aha, aha, eh. Just give me a second. Because I've offered them a little. Yes, the verse I want is in 32, ne? but we can, we can have a little context. We can have a little context. Uh, maybe let's take it from verse. Verse 24. I think it's good we start here. Maybe 20. 
Let us read. Let us read. Verse, verse 19. So here Paul ne, is calling all of the elders. He is about to leave. As he's about to leave, he gives them the final words. And he says, guys, you won't see my face anymore. You won't see my face anymore. What I'm saying to you is the last thing I'm going to say to you. So hear me well. This is after the guy fell from the window. Now he's talking to leaders. He's talking to leaders. Listen to what he says. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. So I've been with you in all seasons. In every season I was with you. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Listen, verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. The Holy Spirit, the comfort, the comfort he's given to him, our afflictions are your portion. In every seat, our affliction is your portion. But this is the man by the prison gate. Afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the minute which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You see, we have a duty as teachers of the word. Not to preach our favorite topics, but to teach the counsel of God. Paul and I held back nothing which was profitable unto you. I held back nothing that was profitable unto you. I have declared unto you the whole counsel of God. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to do what to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Therefore I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So, 
Since wolves are coming, what must they do? Feed them. How do we deal with wolves? By feeding the sheep. And we feed them because wolves are coming. They thrive because they've got a market. I feed the sheep. Feed the flock. Feed them. Hold back nothing. Wolves are coming. So there's a prophetic strategy. Season the spirit was coming. Solution, teach. Let's jump. Let's go to verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. That word, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. That word inheritance is in the Greek. Clere nomos. But this is a compound word. This one, it means to share, to share in. But this sharing, I see 50 50, 100 to share in. Nomos. From this suffix, we get name. So what is this inheritance, Pila Pila? You get an inheritance because of your family name. You understand? You're from this clan, you get an inheritance. You're, my children get my inheritance because they've got what? My name. You understand? So he has actually given us a portion of his name. He has actually given us a portion of himself. What are we inheriting? His name. But what is his name? It's actually his nature. He has made us like his name denotes nature. So we have inherited something. We've got his DNA, the divine nature of the Almighty. So there is something of him in us because we are his masterpiece. What does that mean as his masterpiece? The Bible says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto his good works. So what does it mean that you are his masterpiece? It means you all have a piece of the master within. So now there is this DNA in us and then this word is able to build us up and give us an inheritance. So this word allows us to tap into our inheritance. This word allows us to tap into all that which God has called for us. Now back where we began, I've sent unto you the former rain moderately. Now that former rain, Romans 8, 23 I have sent unto you the former rain more directly. Now, this former rain, not only the Romans 8.23, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, mark that word, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grow within ourselves. So the former rain correlates with the first fruit of the Spirit. So the first fruit of the Spirit is the alpha generation. The first fruit of the Spirit is the beginning generation. The first fruit of the Spirit is the early church. You understand? So uh, when you think about the former rain, it has rendered to us moderately. It is correlated to the first fruit of the Spirit, the first rains. Now, let us go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And when you go to Ephesians 1, 13, 13 and 14, and from the moment you first believed, you were marked with a seal.
seal the Holy Spirit of promise. And so, the moment you believed, you are marked with a seal. So the Holy Spirit is the deposit, a first fruit of what will really come. Remember, the former rain rains, preparing the ground, giving out the first fruit. But there is a latter rain which comes, which prepares the ground for harvest. So, there is a harvest which is yet to come. So now there were three harvests in the land. The first harvest is, is the feast of first fruit. And then this harvest, it is a barley harvest. Harvest. And then there is a second harvest. This second harvest happens at Pentecost. It is a wheat harvest. And then there is a final harvest. And this final harvest is on the seventh month. And this is what we have really been waiting for. It happens in the feet of tabernacles. And the feet of tabernacles get a harvest of fruit. And so there are three harvests. But what do we need to learn is that on Pentecost something happens. Get a wheat harvest. When you look at wheat, that's what we used to make bread. And so that's why we understand that in the first Pentecost, the word was written in the first Pentecost on Mount Sinai. So the true sign of Pentecost is the word of God written in our heart. When we study our Bible carefully, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit poured out in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly, not praying in tongues, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the recipients of Pentecost were continuing in the apostles' doctrine. So those who experienced tongues of fire on them were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in prayers and in the breaking of bread. So those who received Pentecost have got this seal, the word written in their heart, and they are continuing steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. So, after we have received the baptism of the Spirit, we should be steadfast in doctrine so that the experiential must be subject to the scriptural. Our problem is that now the experiential is not subject to the scriptural. But the experiential is fallible, but the scriptural is infallible. So now we need to submit our experience to the, to the counsel of the infallible scriptures so that we can have guidance lest we blow up. So this first fruit is also the earnest of the spirit. It is also the first or the early rains, or in other words, the former rain. But this former rain rains as God is dropping his rain here a little and there a little. Let's go now. What are these attributes of sound doctrine? Can I appreciate respect? Hallelujah. In our midst. Hallelujah. Come on, you can do better than that. It's good to see you. So let us look at the nature of this thing. Timothy 5.17 I want us to look at how Paul 
is instructing Titus and Timothy. I want us to have a look at that quickly. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. Especially those who want to labor in the word and also what? In doctrine. So Paul says, those who labor in doctrine deserve double honor. I have to tell you what that means. Paul is giving instruction on how the church must run. As the church was running, there were people who were working full-time in the ministry and they were sustained by the church. There were elders apt to teach. The Bible says those who are laboring in doctrine are worthy of what? Double honor. What does that mean? Break it down. What does this thing mean? There were wages which were given out. But those who labor in doctrine were worthy of what? Double honor. What does this mean? Those who are laboring in doctrine, the church must make sure that they are taken off double honor. So if the average income is 1,000, they deserve 2,000. If the average income is 5,000, they deserve 10,000. If the average income is 40K, they deserve 8. Those who labor in doctrine are worthy of double honor. So Paul, as you administer these things, those who are laboring, especially in doctrine, because that's how important it is, those who labor in this are worthy of what? Double honor. Not those who provoke, who labor in doctrine, are worthy. They are worthy of double honor. Not just being taken care of, double honor. Especially those who, are, who labor in doctrine. So that's how important it was. The polar guys identify them, those who are laboring in doctrine. Make sure. Make sure. Because we don't want that aspect to decrease. They are worthy of our double honor. Titus 2, verse 1. So I just want to show you how he's encouraging it. But speak down the things which become sound doctrine. Speak out the things which become sound doctrine. We see Paul exalting these two. But let's open, let's open chapter 4, First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4. 
Look at verse 6. Also go to 2 Timothy 1.13. Because I want us to really go into this thing. Verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So I want you to notice the correlation between words of faith and good doctrine. Because in other portions of scripture, sound doctrine is synonymous with words of faith. But the one thirteen, Timothy, Ukraine. Second Timothy one thirteen. Hold fast the form of sound words. So sound doctrine is also synonymous with sound words. So give words of faith. Because sound doctrine must build your faith. Doctrine is not sound if it's killing your faith. If you listen to a sermon, and after listening to a sermon, you've got less faith, he's not sound doctrine. If you have less faith after hearing that sermon, uh, we missed it somewhere. If you believe God less after the sermon, but I don't care what you are saying, if you believe God less, if there is less faith after the preaching, something is wrong. People have crafted doctrines as an excuse against their shortcomings. I have never raised the dead before. And I proclaim the resurrection of the dead. I don't preach my accomplishments. We preach the integrity of the text. We preach the integrity of the text. I'm not here to testify and share my life story with you. My life story does not have the power to transform. It can inspire you for sure, but it can transform you. You understand? You don't need to know how I overcome addiction, how I did that. That is encouraging for sure. But what will transform you are the words of faith. One of the word of God in itself got the power to save. It is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. You understand? So, we just need to dwell on the words of faith and labor in sound doctrine. These words are able to build you up and give you an inheritance. So doctrine is synonymous with words of faith. Doctrine is synonymous with sound words. Titus 1.9 In holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So it's also called the faithful word. So sound doctrine is synonymous with faithful words, is synonymous with sound words, is synonymous with words of faith. Get sound doctrine. It is synonymous with those things. That, that is what Jude is talking about in Jude 3. Let us therefore contend for the faith which was once delivered unto us. So that faith you are contending, 
the sum total of doctrinal revelation that the apostles delivered to them. So now this we need to contend for. We need to contend for the faith. We're not just contending anyhow, we're contending for the faith. Because they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So now the faith which has not been delivered unto us, let us contend for it. Because it is able to build us up and give us an inheritance. So we need to hold form fast stand words. So number one, doctrine must be sound. Number one, doctrine must be sound. Sound means wholesome. Sound means healthy. We just read that you may be able by sound doctrine. So the first thing we need to know is that doctrine must be sound. It must be healthy. Meaning, it must give off the right fruit in the life of the believer. It must be sound. You know, what's the thing about the fruit of the Spirit, for example? The fruit of the Spirit don't feed you. The fruit of the Spirit feed those in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not feeding you, but your wife can say, hey, the fruit of the Spirit is the Because there is love. Kindness. The people around you can tell you you are eating this fruit. So the fruit you're like a tree bearing forth the fruit of the Spirit. So people get to enjoy God because of what's happening within. The fruit is not the works of... So it is contrasted with the works of the flesh. You understand? But the works get effort, but fruit get the work of the Spirit in you. So as the Spirit is having His work in you, and there are now results that you are seeing, get the fruit of the Spirit. Those around are eating of the fruit. But when our faith, the fruit of the Spirit is also faith. So faith is the fruit, but it's also a gift. Someone who... Our faith is edified heaven and we are eating of this thing. So how really do we tell the fruit of the Spirit? Those in your life are eating the fruit. A tree does not eat its own fruit. A tree feeds others. A tree leaves the deposit of the seed. The fruit does not just go alone. The fruit has got the capacity to reproduce. So when the fruit of the Spirit is a, a man a multiplying in you, the people around you are impacted. They are eating of the fruit. So sound doctrine, we see it by its soundness. Sound means healthy. The growth is bringing. How do we judge the teachings you are hearing? By the growth that we see in you. No growth, no teaching. Or no growth, bad teaching. So is it healthy? Is it nourishing? Is it leading you to sin or out of sin? Are the teachings healthy for you? Is it healthy to tell a believer, you know what, you're going to be the richest among us. Is that a healthy thing to tell someone? Is that a healthy thing to teach to someone? Is it healthy for you? Every time you get to church, 
You are told, yo, marriage this, marriage that. Is that healthy for you? Is it healthy for your growth in the Lord? For sure, I'm not saying marriage is a good thing. We, we teach about it, stuff like that. But if that's all you ever hear about, oh yeah, I must, that's what we're pursuing or not, not. As you're growing in the Lord, it's a process of life. It's a natural thing which will happen. Marriage, money, motivation. That's what it's all about. Will that produce a healthy believer? Will that produce a sound believer? So purity of doctrine is seen by purity of life. That's the thing, doctrine must be pure. Yo, yo, yo. Why did you go there? I'm ahead of myself now. Because I'm still on doctrine. It must be pure. Look at Job 11, verse 4. I hope it's verse 4. For thou hast said, my doctrine is pure. Doctrine has to be pure. And I am clean in thine eyes. You see, because his doctrine is pure, he is clean in the eyes of God. Purity of doctrine results in purity of life. Listen to what Job 1 says. Job was a perfect and upright man. One who loved God and eschewed evil. He's perfect and upright. So purity of doctrine is purity of life. When you are taught right, you don't just live anyhow. When you are taught right. Now there's a difference between error and wickedness. Some people are in error, some are wicked. Those in error are struggling against sin. What is sin? Armatia. Armatia is taken from the word karagma. Karagma, it means character. So what is sin? Sin is falling short of the character of Christ. In every area in your life where you have fallen short of the standard height of Christ's own perfection, you are in sin. Everywhere you are falling short of the nature of Christ, there is sin. Because what is sin? Sin is not reflecting the image. Sin is a mistaken identity. You, have a, you are reading the wrong script and reading the wrong lines and playing out the wrong thing. It's a mistaken identity. In simpler terms, sin is missing the mark. Wickedness is having the wrong mark. When you miss the mark, it's sin. But there are some who are beyond. They are not missing the mark. They've got a wrong target altogether. And my doctrine is pure. So doctrine has to be pure. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Yeah, where is that? Give me a second. Ah, where is that verse? Fella, I'm all over the place. Uh, Second Timothy. Uh, uh, where is it? 
It says, okay, someone will find it for me. It says, in doctrine and corruptness. In doctrine showing uncorruptness in the King James. Let's see who will find it first. Titus 2. Titus 2 verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Because there must be fruit. So in all things, show yourself as a pattern of good works. That's a polar character. Follow me as I follow Christ. Show yourself a pattern. Because doctrine must affect life. If they're not living it, hmm. I'm getting ahead of myself. In all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing uncorrupt. So doctrine must be uncorrupt. It must be pure. Let's look at it in the New King James. I think it says integrity. It is the, the New King James. Let's try New King James. Let's see. But if you can open it, it's fine. Next thing, a gem. In the King James, New King James. Okay, let's leave that. In doctrine showing integrity. There are people who've got no integrity when they teach the word of God. There is no integrity in the teaching. There is no sincerity in the teaching. The teaching. In fact, it is a Google teaching. In doctrine showing integrity. Doctrine must be pure. Meaning, it does not have self-promoting motives. You know, because sometimes, ne, when the word is taught, it writes, but some some personal gain in but it's coupled with manipulation. It is not it is not correction to do right. Ne? But it is more manipulation for personal benefit out of measure. But purity of doctrine is purity of life. Language change. Language change. You understand? We are no longer dealing with this thing. Because hey, I can be exposed at any moment. So let me prepare the atmosphere. You'll hear statements like, when you're on top, you become the topic. When the controversy comes, when you're on top, you're the topic. But yes, Papa. So it has been twisted. It has been contorted. It has... These are those who twist the scripture. They've got no integrity in their doctrine. Their doctrine is corrupt. Their teachings are corrupt. Doctrine must be pure. Okay, Mutwari, no. You can look but not touch. Because they're lustful, like you preacher. But you can look but not touch. That is corrupt. That is corrupt. That is defilement. At its worst. 
is defiled. It is corrupt. So, in doctrine, you must show integrity. We don't preach for personal gain. That's why the word of God is a two-edged sword. Before it cuts you, it first cuts me. But we preach about integrity. I'm disqualifying myself, but you are preaching it. Someone I'm disqualified, Bila Bil. I'm actually excommunicating myself, Bila Bil. It's a two-edged sword. So doctrine must be sound. Area of health first the form of sound words. Here's the thing about doctrine. Now where's that verse now? Matthew 22, verse 29. You do err because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. There are people who know about the power of God, but they don't know the scriptures. There are people who know the scriptures, but they don't know the power of God. It's not one Without the other, they are both necessary. And you are in error because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. But it's important that we what know the scripture. Guys, people, people will turn to Galatians 1. Galatians 1. It's important. I know ne, most of the time I spend so much time ne, preaching the gospel from, from the Old Testament. You know, filtering it through the cross. Kill once are Christ everywhere. Kill once are the gospel everywhere. But we haven't really spent time on the epistles of the New Testament. We haven't been appeal sufficiently. So I want us to notice something. How the apostles are dealing with issues in the early church. Look at Galatians 1 from verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Paula or I marvel. You are so soon removed from the gospel. You are so soon removed from what they taught you. So soon. But Paul knew ne, or in the last days some will depart from the, from the faith. So, so quickly. I marvel so soon. I marvel. Which is not another. But there be some that trouble you. And they would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Some doctrine will preserve us from error. First Timothy four verse six. Rebadil. 
We need to remind the saints of these things. Let's do this. Let's do this. Romans 6. Number 2. Ne? Doctrine must be pure. Doctrine must be sound. That means it must be healthy. That means it must produce fruit in you. That means you must see fruit meet for repentance. It must be sound. It must be sound. It must be healthy. I might as well say it. People are taught it's okay to watch porn. It's better than fornicating. Because what you do about self-control is better than fornicating. That is not healthy doctrine. It's not going to yield good fruit. It's not. It's not. Sound doctrine. It must be healthy. It must nourish you up. There are things he then wants to eat. He cannot eat them. They might taste nice, but he cannot eat them. There's a particular diet we have to give him so that he can grow up into the adult he needs to be. There are things we have to restrict him from eating. We need a healthy and a proper diet in the things of God. That's why we must teach the whole council. We don't just eat carbohydrates. We also need some protein. Romans 6.17 But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. Here's the source. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Here's the source. Ne? Doctrine must be obeyed. Doctrine is not just taught so you can know it and understand it. You must obey it. Doctrine remains a lifeless theory up until you practice it. We don't just preach the doctrine of the laying on of hands. Doctrine, it's a lifeless theory until we practice it. Repentance from dead works. It's a lifeless theory until we practice it. Faith towards God. It's a lifeless theory up until it is practiced. Here is the error. There is theory without experience. Many fall into the trap of just being in theory without the experience. Doctrine can never be truly understood until it is practiced. There are people who've got books, texts about prayer, but they can't pray. You learn praying by praying. They can tell you what prayer is in Hebrew. They can show you all the scriptures about praying, but they never get answers to their prayers. The power of prayer is not even its length. The power of prayer is not in longevity or the jargon. The power of prayer is in God's answer to it. How do you measure the power of your prayer? By the answer. How do you know? All of a 
of a sudden, it's complicated. Okay, this is unfamiliar territory. And unfortunately, can I leave my This is unfamiliar territory. I'm that type who WhatsApps for intercession. Now I must quote 11 scriptures before. You have not entered into unfamiliar territory. In fact, when the Bible tells us, when you pray, lock yourself in the closet. You know the meaning then, that meaning on that verse is not so much about your prayer being secret. It's not so much about your prayer being secret. The answer to your prayer is not qualified by the secrets. You understand? Just because no one heard you when you were praying, it does not guarantee an answer. It does not secure an answer. The word then, it's a bedroom word. It's an intimate word. The marriage bed is undefiled. It's in secret. Nobody sees that. Nobody knows that. When you pray, get to that closet place of intimacy with the Lord. It is more not about shutting everyone out. It is more about getting somewhere with God. It is more about being in his presence. It is more about having a pursuit of his presence. It is more about having a pursuit with him. But all doctrine remains but a lifeless theory up until it is practiced. Doctrine must be obeyed. It must be done. We must pursue after it. We must follow hard after it. Listen, no matter how scriptural your doctrine is, if there is no practice, it is lifeless. But no matter how many scriptures you quoted, but if there is no practice, if there is no obedience to that thing, lifeless theory. This is the doctrine. This is actually being a Pharisee. You know the Bible, how the Bible classifies being a Pharisee? Matthew 23, verse 1. Matthew 23, verse 1. Matthew 16, verse 12. Then spake Jesus unto the multitude and his disciples. Two, three. Come on, two and three. Come on, we did this verse last week, I believe. Or two weeks ago. Verse 3. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. The Pharisees were meticulous in their doctrine to a point where Jesus says, what they tell you to do, do it. They were good at teaching to a point where Jesus says, Whatsoever, whatsoever, whatsoever they teach you, do it. Whatsoever they bid you to do, do. 
but not, do not ye after their works. For they say and they do not. What is a Pharisee? Not a judgmental person. What is a Pharisee? A hypocrite. You are Pharisees. Uh-uh. Pharisees, according to Jesus, are hypocrites. They say and do not. Doctrine must be obeyed. Hey, don't do as they do. It must be obeyed. It must be done. They say and do not. They say, but they don't do. Do not do after their works. Matthew 16, 12. I beware of the living of the Pharisees, which is but hypocrisy. Doctrine must be obeyed. John, is it 60? John 7, verse 16 and 17. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. It's not mine, but his that sent me. But I want you to highlight this phrase. If any man, next verse, 17. I want you to highlight the first part. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. If you don't know his doctrine, you can't do his will. If you don't know his doctrine, you can't do his will. His doctrine is teaching you his will. If you want to do his will, know his doctrine. If you are not walking the will of God, no doctrine, Baba. Now, let's bring it back home. Remember the other week? It's windy outside. Psalms chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed are they who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. They shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers, whose leaves not wither, who gives forth fruit in season. The ungodly are not so. So godliness is likened to a person bound by some doctrine. I showed you that two weeks ago again. Let's go. If any man will do his will, he must know the doctrine. But I really want to, I want to explain this one. I have to explain this, like I have to. Here's my point. Doctrine determines character. Doctrine determines character. It's important because it determines character. You don't believe me? I'll show you. Doctrine determines your character. What a person believes affects who he is. What a person believes affects what they do. Believing affects being. Being affects doing. What you believe is informed by what you know, by what you've been taught. 
Okay, show us in the scriptures. Show us in the scriptures. First Timothy 4. First Timothy 4, ne? Verse 16. Okay, before 16, maybe let's do... I've been doing verse 6 a lot for the past three weeks. So, verse 6, but go to verse 13. But let's start with 13. Till I come, till I come, give attendance to number one, reading. Give attendance to reading. I was reading a study. I said, Bible, I don't study. I was reading a study by the Banner Group, reputable, reputable scholars. And they checked for a person who reads the scriptures once a week. Okay, sharp. Twice a week, sharp. Three times a week, sharp. But the person who, who reads the scriptures four times a week, they are more likely to remain married, 60%. But it's a start. If you spend four days in a week, whether consecutive or what, you just reading the scriptures, 60% more likely not to divorce. So when you check the history of marriages which do the test of time, I can guarantee you there is some reading. They are more likely ne, to break depression out of to break out of depression. More likely. Like this is such an awesome study. I think I'm gonna send it to you. No, could be on my blog. We click. Okay, I'm reading some notes. They are more likely, more likely. Like there are so many attributes. It's a study, it's a scientific study, which was seen. Oh, Bob is on the PhD in thesis. You understand? Don't study into serious. Also, there, is a, there are studies. It's not thumb sucked. It's peer reviewed. They're not doing anything special. Just four times a week. So we see, okay, once, okay, sharp, twice, three. But four times, something happens. So there is power in just spending time in the scriptures, just spending time in the word. There's power in that. They are less anxious, less temperamental. They've got better relationships all around. They get along better with people. They are more likely. Even with those who who are battling addictions. Those who are spending time here are more likely to beat the, the, the addiction than others. They are more likely. So Paul, until I come, give attendance to reading. Sometimes I just have a service over reading it. Not the TED talk. 
Give attendance to reading. To exhortation. To doctrine. Give attendance to doctrine. I'm coming, but up until I come, no matter how long it takes, give attendance to doctrine. Give, attend to that, you'll be doing well. Verse 16. Tabarashimo, verse 16. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine and continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. Oga polaring, Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Take heed to your behavior and your doctrine because your doctrine affects your behavior. So take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Sometimes, as we're dealing with people's behaviors, we must deal with the doctrine they have. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. First Timothy chapter 6. I promise you, we relay first baton, second baton. We're on the final stretch. Chapter 6, verse 3. We're on the final stretch. Like your doctrine will determine your character. So, wholesome teaching, we sit in the character. In the long run, sitting after under wholesome teaching, we can see it in the correct. First Timothy 6:3. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, sound words, sound doctrine, even the Lord's of our, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So this doctrine is according to what? Godliness. Godliness king. God-likeness. Godliness. God-likeness. So doctrine must be according to godliness. This doctrine must make you more godlike. So when you are paying attention to some doctrine, your thoughts are godly. They are more godlike. Godliness. God-likeness. You won't become more like God by listening to testimonies. You won't become more like God by listening to other stuff and someone illustrations. They don't make you more like God. It is only the teaching of the scriptures which have the power to build you up and give you an inheritance. So now the scriptures will make you partake of the inheritance. The scriptures will make you tap into all those things that God has given to us as an inheritance. The scriptures, Baba. Godlikeness, meaning holy in character, right living, godliness, godlikeness. That's why Nebuchadnezzar 2.7, the one we were reading, it in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, born. Titus 2.7 Show thyself a pattern 
in often showing yourself a pattern of good works. Because doctrine determines character. So now, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, because purity of doctrine results in purity of life. So show yourself as a pattern of good works. He says to Titus, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity and sincerity. Gravity is seriousness and sincerity. This is what he's saying to Titus. In all things, show thyself a pattern of good works. Good Timothy, I take heed unto yourself and unto your doctrine because your doctrine determines your character. So make sure that your doctrine is pure. Doctrine determines character. It's not just a big word you are playing with. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Yo, I want to I want to break down this word purloining and fidelity, but for English class, let's just go to the last part. That they may adorn the doctrine of God. So doctrine must be adorned. So now when you're putting on the armor of God, you are adorning the doctrine. Have you put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation. Get the doctrine of salvation. Lifting up the shield of faith. Get the doctrine of faith towards God. Putting on the belt of truth. The shoes shot with the readiness with the gospel of peace and putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So now when you're putting on the armor of God, you are adorning the doctrine because some doctrine enables you to do warfare. We do warfare by some doctrine. We defeat strongholds by some doctrine. We unseek demons by some doctrine. We, are, we reinforce the authority of God in your life by sound doctrine, by teaching you sound doctrine, we are unseating demons. By giving you sound doctrine, we are unseating temptations. By giving you sound doctrine, we are removing strongholds and principalities. By giving you sound doctrine, we are saving marriages. We are dealing with lust. We are dealing with addictions. We are dealing with characters. So this is an altar of deliverance. So adorn the doctrine. So doctrine must be adorned. In other words, it must be obeyed. Adorn the doctrine. Baby ladies, put on the armor of light. Adorn the doctrine. Okay. Baby also says, put on the new man. Adorn the doctrine. Baby also says, put on the full armor of God. Adorn the new man. We need to adorn it. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to understand it. If it is not practiced, it is lifeless. Second Peter one three. I want to deal with this verse According as his divine power has given us all things which pertain to life and godliness. He has given us all things which pertain to life and godliness. 
that divine power has given us everything for life and godliness. Remember, doctrine is unto what? Godliness. So he has given us all things we need for life and godliness. Doctrine is part of the package which leads us to godliness. So he has given us all things by his power. Someone remove this thing as we take it home. So doctrine must be sound. Doctrine must be pure. Number one, it must be sound. Number two, it must be pure. Number three, and these are the attributes of wholesome teaching. Number three, must be sound, must be pure. Number three, must be obeyed. Number four, it determines your character. What you are taught determines your behavior. First, second Timothy chapter three. This one like it. I'll be very disturbed if you don't know this verse. Second Timothy chapter three. From verse 14 to 17. If early eats, I'll be very dis- disappointed and hurt. I promise you, long hurt if early eats. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Next verse. Come on. And that from a child thou hast known what? The holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Because all scripture is given by what? The inspiration of God. And is what? Profitable for ing doctrine. Number two for ing reproof number three for correction number three for instruction in righteousness the scriptures are not there just for us to claim blessings Paul was a Timothy as the teacher okay, the scriptures are, are profitable number one for doctrine so doctrine is like a teaching from the scriptures so we wouldn't look for someone examples if you spend time in the Bible, all the examples you need are in the Bible. The more powerful examples are in the Bible. Guys, your faves, but I got the that be but guys, we are running a race. And Chef, I appreciate that. One, and he drives home the point. Chef, in a little place. Ne? But there is a better example which has the power to save. It is profitable for doctrine. For reproof. You know, here's the thing. Ne? When we hear the word, it builds faith. An example can be wow, mind blowing. And then when it's being tested, unfortunately, an example 
does not give life. But if you are remembering a scripture, the Holy Spirit works with the scripture remembering to bring you victory. But if you are not given a scripture, you are given a, a, a picture of a scripture. Holy like you can survive. If, or if not, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here is an important point. Doctrine must be scriptural. It's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine must be what? Scriptural. Sound teaching, wholesome teaching is scriptural teachings. For the scriptures are profitable for doctrine. Doctrine, remember, get teaching. So the scriptures are profitable for teaching. Yeah, and then verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. The scriptures are able to make you perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Last week, I told you doctrine determines fellowship. We look into that at the level of 1 John. It determines who we fellowship with. It determines why we fellowship. I promise you guys, I want to read this one. Where is that verse? I get Paul of Lelane, Laid, First Timothy chapter one, chapter four. No, for, I think verse one somewhere there. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last days many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. They will not endure sound doctrine. Get Paul, the Spirit speaks expressly, so people will not endure sound doctrine. But I am being hateful. Ah, man, no. Why must you talk about that? It's not sin, it's a mistake. Why must you call it it's a mistake? It's a wound, it's my wound. It's not sin, it's not sin anymore, it's a wound. You see, what are the fruit meet for repentance? When real repentance is happening in a believer, the sin you once loved, you grow to hate. That's when we see, yeah, you grow to hate it. You grow to hate it. Okay. Look at First Timothy, chapter chapter one. Verse 3. Paul is going to Macedonia. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So I, I, when I left you here in Ephesus, came Macedonia, the purpose was for what? To make sure that you oversee the doctrine which is being taught. I can follow everything, anywhere, every wind is on my lawn. 
that they teach no other doctrine. Let's close it like this. Proverbs 5.23. It's all Twenty-three. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Without instruction in righteousness, you will die. Spiritual death. You will backslide. You will draw back. Without instruction, a newborn believer dies. That's why forsake not the gathering of yourself together as the manner of some is. You will die. He shall die without instruction. Then you'll go astray. Guys, instruction is important. Some doctrine is important. With all it, we will die. It's instruction in righteousness. It's slow spiritual death. Slow. You see, the Lord said, if you eat from this tree, you will die. Adam ate. It took 930 years until the death finally came. But it did come. It might take a long time for the death to come, but it will come. Don't feed long enough on the right things, then you will die. Go long enough without feeding. Go long enough. And without instruction, you shall die. So some doctrine gives life. It's life-giving. It is nourishing. It is wholesome. It makes you healthy. It equips you. It will help you to be firmly rooted for the days we are living in. I want to get to all it. For the days we are living in. First Peter 3. Get all it. First Peter, First Peter 3. Verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be what? Ready always. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we need to sanctify the Lord in our hearts so that we are ready to give an answer for what we believe. Some doctrine enables you to give an answer for what you believe. Don't be like that American guy. I, I wish the Bible was more clear concerning sexuality. I clear can't. I clear. I clear can't. I clear. I wish the Bible. I don't know, but if only God could have made this thing. Hey, but I clear. Well, I clear. I wish 
the Bible was not clear. Ah, 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 ah. I wish you were not such a coward. No, that's what I wish. I wish you were not such a coward. I wish you would read your Bible more. I wish you were not overexposed and underdeveloped. Because I love your zeal. I love your passion. I love how intuitive you are. But you are very overexposed and underdeveloped. That is the problem. Give attendance to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. You need to be able to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that is in you. If people are asking you, hey, man, what are you talking about? You don't need to call them fundis, but you need to be able to provide an answer for every man that is asking you about your convictions but you don't have convictions you have convenience you go to where it is convenient your Christianity your walk with God is marked by conveniences you don't have a reason you don't have an excuse you don't not even an excuse a reason for the hope that is in you Boyfriend, boyfriend, let's move in together. You need to have a reason. I know God loves us. God, you need to have a reason why this will never work. You need to have a reason for the hope that is in you when they are trying to say, come on, the Bible says don't be drunk. You need to have a reason why when you need to have a reason until I come, give attendance to sound doctrine. You need to have a reason why you need to have a reason why you don't smoke hardly, even though hardly I tell you babbling. You need to have a reason why hardly Osai Osai Tsubi. You need to have a reason. So it is important that people spend time in the word. Paul says, that you might be able by sound doctrine to convince the gainsayers. There are gainsayers. There are people who are speaking rubbish. And by sound doctrine, we must be able to convince the gainsayers. By the Spirit, somebody's moving out. By the Spirit, I by the Spirit, somebody, somebody has found a reason. Somebody is moving out. By the Spirit of the Lord, somebody is returning some gifts. Somebody is returning some unholy garments which were sent by boyfriend. He's returning them. And I've got a reason for this. And people need to have a reason for the faith that is in them. People need to have a reason for their convictions. Listen, we are not running 
your political party trying to get the biggest numbers we are not involved here when God is on your side you're on the majority we don't need to agree with the masses we have a conviction Father, someone is moving out somebody sending a text somebody is about to delete a joint Instagram account somebody is about to delete it what are we doing this does not glorify God so I'm stepping out Why? I've got reason I'm not moved by the trend. I'm not moved by anything. I'm not even moved by my own desires. Because the Bible says, he will give me the desires of my heart. So God has put a desire in me to live alone until I marry. He has put a desire in me to stop puffing it. He has put a desire in me. Because he shall give you the desires of your heart. Eh? This does not mean he's a genie. Whatever you want, you got it. This means he's sovereign. Even what you want, he determines it. Because he owns you. You were purchased. You are a purchased possession. You don't belong to yourself. You have been redeemed by the precious blood. Acts 20, verse 13. You have been purchased by the blood of God. Therefore, feed the sister flock that tears purchased with his own blood but come on the Bible says uh, don't get drunk but you can drink on the Bible says flee even the appearance of sin whether it's sin or not but if it does not look good flee Motivational speaking leads you to righteousness. Sound biblical teaching results in righteousness. We don't want you to be righteous. We don't want you to be like the Pharisees. Experience without encounter. Knowledge without encounter. We don't want you to be like them. We want you to have fruit and that your fruit might remain and that your fruit might abide and your fruit are testified by those around you. I want to stay tasmarabe. People think I was being a motivational speaker. Get the fruit of the spirit in Tokyo Blanca on it's the fruit of the spirit what I'm saying here we need to convince the gainsayers listen right now I don't need to run outside and do evangelism I need to do evangelism in here Baba. we need to evangelize the saved in this generation we need to evangelize the redeemed in this generation because many are giving heed to seducing spirits. Uh-huh. What I'm doing is evangelism right here. I'm affirming someone's salvation. Because we've received the former ring, the, the, the earnest, 
Now, the former rain is also like I've shown you, that deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. It is a deposit of something greater which is to come. So the spirit of him bears witness with our spirit, the Abba, Father. Every time you groan, there is a groan within you. Every time you groan, there is a cry in you. Every time you groan, there is something in you crying for sonship. There is something in you crying for your identity. There is something in you crying for who you really are. The spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Every time you pray in tongues, you are praying for sonship. You are praying for dominion. You are praying to rule. He bears witness with our spirit. And this is why it's not good to make promises. Because there are two scriptures. There are two scriptures. Because doctrine must be scriptural. Paul and Timothy, they are able to make you wise unto salvation. There are people asking us silly questions. So when I did the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Can you give Jesus praise? Amen.